Wow, great worship. Thank you, guys. If you have your Bibles, have them ready for Revelation chapter 2 again. This one I called Balaam, Stick Baits and the Sword of Lord. And you just as all of these songs that we were singing there, talking about how great is our God and what He's did for us. And He bled and died upon that cross and He's forgiven every sin. And as we go through life, He says, you're also just pray, tell me whenever you've fallen. I know you're going to fall all the time. But when you do, just come back and pray to me again. And I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sins still and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and to keep your heart close to me. And we're going to talk more about that heart here in a little bit. It's amazing how that's going to tie in. But as you're there in Revelation chapter 2, instead of telling you something I heard as a joke this week, I'm going to tell you something that I heard a while back as kind of an illustration to lead into the message today. And I'm probably not going to tell it right, so I'm going to ad-lib a lot Uh, Because it's been a while and I didn't take notes. But it talked about, and I'm going to make it, that there's a couple of brothers who would ride on a train through the countryside to go back home and to uh, visit the family every once in a while. And most of the time, they would go back in the late spring when everything was green and blooming and lush. And they were riding on that train one day and they looked out in the field and they saw these sheep out in the field. And the one brother said, look how beautiful and how bright white all of those sheep are. And boy, they was out there eating in the pasture. And uh, they just took note of it and and watched as they went by of all of those sheep and the beauty and, and everything that God had created. Well, the next time that they had to head back home, it was wintertime. God, like He did last week for us, laid a beautiful white sparkling snow out across that pasture. And as the train went by, they looked out there, and the one brother happened to look, and he he elbowed the other one, and he said, Now I want you to take a look out there. Look at those sheep. Well, those sheep looked dull. They looked scraggly. They they looked kind of dirty looking compared to that bright, glistening snow. And the thing of it is, is in our hearts a lot of times, we think we're like that pasture in the springtime when we compare us to the righteousness of God we're like the sheep that's out there in the snow that's all bright we don't look so bright and so white do we when we're compared to something like that and so that's kind of going to be a tone to reflect on through this because here in the middle of these verses what we're talking about is is a contrast just like the sheep were a contrast between what they seem to be in the spring versus the winter. We're in a contrast with Antipas, who was faithful to God, versus Balaam, who was trying to do something to the children of God, to the, to the congregation that was there in Pergamum. And so it's a contrast there. And last week we studied Antipas and all of the things that he did and he stood for, and it was a positive message. And next week, I promise you again, it's going to be a promising, uplifting message. It's going to be about our rewards and what is the hidden manna and what is the white stone with a new name on it. So I hope that that will bring you here to hear the rewards that you're going to have. 
But the thing is, is in between, we've got a battle with our heart going on and with our life. And that's the battle of like, do I follow like Antipas or do I follow like Balaam? And today, I have to give you Balaam's side of the story. And just like those sheep that one, they can either look to you white as snow or they can look to you scraggly. So can you look at this message today? You might look at this message today and say, Boy, that was a little bit of a, of a downer on the downside. But I like to look at everything positive. This, remember how Revelation started, folks. We started that with chapter 1 where it says, This is what, what the Lord Jesus Christ and what God gave to him to present to us. And verse 3 in chapter 1 said that this is the only book in the Bible that presents to you a blessing if you read it and you understand it. So whatever's caught in between here is an understanding of something. And the understanding is we've got to learn about Balaam and the way he was like so that we do not get caught up into that and that we don't make it to heaven and get our reward because what it says after Balaam is he that has an ear to hear let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches and to him who overcomes. I am going to give to them these rewards. And to be an overcomer, we're going to have to follow the word of God like Antipas did and not follow the way of Balaam and the teaching of Balaam. So with all of that to be said, it's my hope. I'm just now getting into what I wrote. (laughs) With all of that to be said to preface this, it's my hope that none of us have to go through life with hard knocks, with struggles and with pain because of things that we've decided to do that weren't proper decisions. Because people are prone to make stupid decisions. I know I am. And then to realize, I say it all the time and I'm going to continue to say it until my dying day, I pray. There is nothing more important to you and your life than the Word of God. There is nothing more important in this life than what we're doing right here and right now. Nothing. And I want you to think about eternity. I want you to think about forever. And these few years that we spend right now is all that we're going to have to stand on to face eternity. Anything pales in comparison to that. So it is of utmost importance that we realize the importance of the Word of God and our small time on earth, everything, our rewards, our destination, our opportunities depends upon how we handle ourselves in this small amount of time. And so therefore, nothing is more important than this. Some may find out the hard way. I pray not. I pray God has mercy and shows to them the proper way before it's too late. But then, to those of us who begin to realize that the Word of God is good, And how important it is. And it's the most important thing that we have 
in this life that God gave to us. This is what he gave to us and all we have. We will begin to hunger and thirst after it. And we will taste of it. And we will taste that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, it says, that tastes and trusts in the Lord. How sweet are your words to me, Lord. Sweeter than honey to my mouth, the writer of Psalms said. And then when the word of God starts to become to you and your life sweeter than honey, and you start to desire that, it becomes a lamp unto your feet and a light under your way and to your path. And then you will begin to realize, how did I survive before that? Because man does not live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And in your law then, I begin to meditate day and night. And I begin to hunger and to thirst after that and your desire. And my delight is in the law of the Lord. And when your life begins like that, then you're planted like a tree beside rivers of water. And that means your roots go into where they're always being nourished by that water of life. And your leaf is not going to wither. And everything that you do will prosper. And your tree will begin bearing fruit in its season. But, that Psalm 1 goes on to say, those without God are not so. They do not desire the Word of God. They don't care for its light to the path, nor the sweetness to the taste. And they will be like the chaff that the wind drives away, it says. Therefore, the ungodly will not stand in the judgment. You know why? Because they didn't worship God in this life. They're going to be on bended knee the entire time, realizing the authority of the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the one who held out the word of life that they had refused. And now they're not going to stand in the congregation, but they will be bent in worship down to the one that they should have worshipped in this life. Be it known today that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish, Psalm 1 says. And so as we begin our scripture there of Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, this is an account of that very thing. Antipas and Balaam, and what goes on in the life of the body of Christ. Today we see the other side of the coin. Last week it was Antipas. Today we see the one who professes in the heart that they know God, but their heart and their walk is far from Him. It's the teaching and the way and the error, the Scriptures say, of Balaam. And to understand that and its importance to us and why I consider it important for our lives is this. We've read it twice so far and the third time's always the charm, right? 12, 17, or verse, chapter 2, verse 17 says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the Lord is speaking here. He says, listen up. If you got ears to hear, listen up. And just as the story of Antipas last week was bracketed in between I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and I know where you live, where Satan dwells. Antipas' story was bracketed by that. The story of Balaam is bracketed by verse 12. These things say he who has the sharp two-edged sword 
And it's bracketed with verse 16 that says, Therefore repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And he that has an ear, listen up. And I want you to know that that's just not a flippant, off-the-cuff statement that Jesus makes. He don't make light statements. In the entire message to the church, there's only like five verses for the message to an entire church. Everything here is planned. And he says, listen up. There's a struggle between two walks of life. And you need to make a decision. And he that has an ear, let him hear what I'm trying to do. So, as we begin to talk about Balaam then, and what he taught Balak, so that we understand what not to do in our life, we've got to start with a key word that's there in verse 14, where it says, Balaam taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. A stumbling block. Oh, I brought a little part of my tackle box. And I say a little part. Yeah, I have a bunch of tackle. I got way too much tackle. But you know what these things are called? Lures. Lures. Things that are supposed to entice you. They put a stumbling block to the fish. But actually that word stumbling block there is the word scandalon. And that's where we get scandal. And actually a scandal or a scandalon is something that is meant to entice you by your own desires to end up falling for something. And that's what ends up happening in a scandal. And I love to fish. And there's different kinds of baits because everybody's enticed by something different. Hebrews The book of Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that everyone has this weight of something that is their burden, that is the thing that you are easily beset with, that you will fall for. Some bass really love a Gary Yamamoto Cinco. I'm telling you, when that thing falls and it wiggles like that as it falls, they cannot resist it. They love a Yamamoto You've got baits that run through the middle of the ground. Look, I've got so many, they're all attached. And that's what a scandal does. It has treble hooks. And it tears you up. But my favorite thing to do when I'm fishing is to throw a topwater bait. I've got a bango lure and a rattling rogue right here. And you take these baits, and I'd love to go out in an early morning or a late night. When the light starts to get low and the water's pretty calm, maybe a slight ripple on it, and you take that top water bait and you cast it out there before them, and it hits the water right towards the edge of the bank, and the ripples start going out. And right about the time the ripples quit, you start twitching your rod tip, popping it just a little bit, and that bait bounces for a second, and the ripples go, and the bait bounces for a second, and the ripples go. And that old bass under there, he's looking up there and he can't resist that because it looks like a wounded minnow. It looks like an easy meal. Man, I'm going to be able... Fish don't like to get out of water. You know, fish out of water. They don't like to get out of water and a topwater bait is like right there to take you out of your element. But I am so tempted. I am so enticed by that wiggle that that bass can't resist it and they come up and they blast through the top of the water 
And guess what? The thing that was meant to provide a good meal, a thing that, apply it to us, that you thought was going to be nice, and you thought was good and enticing, and I'm going to enjoy this, and the minute then I take a hold of it, there's something on the other end that sets the hook, drives that treble hook into the mouth, and you get reeled in. And you go to hard times, and if we never change, ultimately we go into destruction. And that's what this word means. It means that Balaam taught Balak how to throw a stick bait. That's what the word means on Scandalon. If you look at what it means, stick bait. That is a stick bait. It's a bait stick is what it is. And the old movies and the old little Boy Scout books that I would have, you would have a box trap and you would set the stick up with a bait, a bait stick, for the animal to go in there so that you could trap them and cover them up. And that's exactly what this word is. Balaam taught Balak how to take the children of God and tempt them to leave God for, for the world is basically for something else. And that is the entire ministry of what Balaam was trying to do because he also had to do that to gain what he wanted, which was fame, fortune, and money. This says that it's ultimately an entrapment that someone is caught by their own devices and their own carnal thinking is what this word means. And you know, it's kind of like a mousetrap with us. You set that old mousetrap, and that trap is set. That bait is out there. You know what that little tongue on there is called? The stick. And you know what you put on there? Bait. Yes, peanut butter. I, I use peanut butter too. I've found it sticks, and they can't get it off, so they pretty much get stuck in there. But you know... That's what it is when that doctrine of Balaam comes out. Satan is using things to entice us, to bait us, to lure us in. And what we do is we play around with it. And we get close to it. And we look at it. And oh, we can't put it down. When the word of God says that I'm supposed to train my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. And when he was tempted, he used scripture back to Satan every time. He didn't look at what he offered him and go, man, I could have the entire world, couldn't I? Mm, bread does sound good right now. He didn't think about what the lure was, what the stick bait was. He used the scriptures, the word of God that I'm telling you is the most important thing in your life. That is what he used. He didn't play around with it and toy around with it. Because you know what happens? Whenever you toy around with it, pretty soon your hand gets somewhere where it's not supposed to get. And the trap gets set. And there's no going back from that once the trap got set. That's what we have to take caution about and care about as the body of Christ is trying to live in a Christian walk of life, not to let the world and its enticements grab a hold of us. Let's talk about this man named Balaam. 
I'm going to uh, I'm going to ask you guys something this week. I'm going to ask you to be a Berean. I'm going to ask you to start uh, searching the Word of God for yourself as we go through these things because I've got a bunch of chapters today. Uh, Tanya, I know I've went everywhere and skipped on you. Go ahead and give me that one, yeah. If you've got something to write those down with or you can take a note on your phone, this is like nine chapters. And if I taught, we'd be here till midnight tonight. So I'm going to ask you to be Bereans because it says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11 that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they took what was given to them and studied it daily as they went on to make sure that it was good and true. You know why? Because they wanted to live it for their life and they wanted to learn from it. And so I'm going to ask you to be Bereans this week and take a look at these. Because when we talk about Balaam and we go back here to Numbers chapter 22 and we begin, you know, Balaam is like you and I, just minding his business. He's at home minding his business, not doing anything, and some people show up. And they say to him, we want you to come and curse some folks for us. They're all over the place. We're afraid of them. And we know that who you curse stays cursed, and who you bless stays blessed, and we need a cursing upon them. And you see, Balaam is now a professing Christian. But... His old walk of life was sorcery and soothsaying. And his old walk of life, he was the rock star of soothsayers. Everybody knew his dad and they knew him. And that's why they've come a-knocking. Somehow he's learned about the God of heaven. And he says to them, Let me go see what the Lord my God has for me to say about this. And he comes back and he told them no. He was able to resist that first temptation. And many times that's the way we are. Where did he go? He went to seek the Lord. That's what we should do. But a lot of times, even though we do seek the Lord, sometimes we're saying, does it really say I can't do that? Does it really, can I find it or can I, does it just kind of vaguely mention it? Maybe I'm okay with doing it. But he went to the Lord and the Lord flat out told him, no. You're not able to do that, nor curse the people. Don't go and don't curse. Well, just like you and I, people don't leave us alone, do they? They keep coming back. They keep coming back again and again. The temptation always comes back again and again. The first time isn't the last time ever. When I'm fishing, I don't go to the lake. I make one cast. Hey, it didn't bite. I'm going home and packing up my stuff. No, I didn't put everything in the car and go there to cast one time. Satan doesn't either. He casts over and casts over and casts over. He might change baits on you. He's going to do something to get you to fall. And they came back again. And this time, Balaam couldn't resist because they said not only money and not only do we know how famous you are, but we also know that you're a little prideful as well like everybody is, and we will also give you rank and authority and recognition with us as well as a blank check. And that was too much. Yeah, I know what I'm supposed to do, but maybe God's going to not see me leave. I'm going to go the next day. His idea was that it ought to be okay. This really isn't that bad of a thing to do, so he goes. 
and he takes off. And three times the Lord tries to get him to understand not to go. You know, the scriptures say that there is no temptation except that which is common to man. We're all prone to these things. But with the temptations, God is faithful and he will provide for you a way of escape. Now, when I'm driving down the highway, a lot of times I'm distracted. I'm talking, I'm listening, I'm doing something, and I miss my exit. Balaam was distracted by these things, and he missed the exit. He was supposed to exit at Snagglepuss, I think it was, you say, stage left. He was supposed to exit, but he didn't do that. He went ahead and did what he wanted to do. And that's our problem. We do what we want to do and not what we're always supposed to do. And three times along the way, as you're reading through Numbers 23 and 24, three times in Numbers 22 and 23, God tries to stop him. His donkey understands, but he doesn't. Finally, God allows him to do the thing of his heart, but he tells him, you will not curse the people because they are blessed. They are my people. You know what he does? He still wants to do what he wants to do. So he gets there and he goes to Balak and he still wants to get paid. So three times he goes to different mountains and tries to curse the people. That's in chapters 23 and 24. He can't do it. God had told him he can't, so he didn't get paid. And chapter 24 kind of ends with they parted ways a little bit. They left because he had blessed the people and it made Balak mad. And then you go to chapter 25 as you're reading it, as you're Bereans this week. And you see in chapter 25, it starts out with something strange. I mean, we just ended there on a mountain and they couldn't curse. But then in chapter 25, all of a sudden, Midianite and Moabite women, all of the, all of the beautiful women of that country come down to the camp of God, and of the Israelites, and start flaunting themselves out around the camp. They were bait sticks that were enticing the men to come out to them. And then with that, it enticed them to worship their gods and to bring them away from the God of heaven. So what they were doing was playing the hokey pokey. You know, I'm in the camp of God, but I'm going to put one foot here and one... And shake it all about. And they were doing that hokey pokey thing with the world and with the camp of God. I'm, I'm really in the camp of God, but I'm dabbling in something else. And I can't dance, can I? I've got no rhythm. But they were doing the hokey pokey and God spun them all about. Because you will find out that in verse 3, the anger of the Lord rose up with what they were doing. Ah. Uh, I'm trying not to spoil this, but if you're in a Berean and you read chapter 25, you're going to find out that God was so mad over that that he said, take everyone who has joined themselves. And I started looking at that word. Joined themselves unto Baal. Genesis chapter 2, God takes man and he takes a rib bone out and he manufactures, bana, a woman. 
And he brings him there. And Adam says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to her, the new King James Version says, and they too become one. That same word for joined there, God says you have joined yourselves to Balaam. Didn't we say that Pergamos meant the mixed marriage of the world and the church trying to coexist in the same location? And you can't coexist, can you? You can't coexist. You can't be both. You joined yourself to the world. You played the hokey pokey. And I'm spinning you about. Every person that joined themselves to Baal, he said to Moses and the leaders, you take them out and you hang their heads towards the sun. And you hang them there to fry in the sun as a representation that thou shall have no other gods before me. You remember our marriage vows. You will have no other gods before me. I am a jealous God. So, that's what happened. As you're Bereans and you're checking out chapter 25. But what caused that? I mean, that just came out all of a sudden after Balaam and Balak part ways. Well, if you go to chapter 31, you read that God wasn't done. There's some other things that, that he explains through there. But when we get to chapter 20 or 31 of Numbers... Then God says, I'm not done. I'm still mad at those Midianites and those Moabites that did that to you. So I want you to gather a thousand men from each tribe and I want you to go after them. And I want you to go up there and I want you to take care of them and slay them because they brought a plague upon my people. And so they go there and they do that and they, they wipe out all of the men. And Moses comes with the rest of the leaders and he looks and they had spoil they had plunder you know what they had moabite midianite women he looks and they're all gathered around here moses his eyes pops out of his head and he says what what are you doing do you not know that these and he uses that they were the stick bait they were the things that caused the plague upon my people and you as we said, to take care of them, now you've collected them again to bring them back in. And there's some things that goes on there, and I'll let you read them yourselves this week, because I'm trusting that you're going to be Bereans. But there's some things going. But what Moses does tell them in verse 15 is, is that these are the ones who came and drawed you away from God from the council of Balaam to Balak. So, this goes all the way up, fast forward to Revelation chapter 2. The counsel of Balaam to Balak was to throw temptations of the world at my people. And to get them to want to, to coexist and to intermingle and to say that everything is alright. You don't have to be a holy nation and a royal priesthood to me. And it's okay to do all of that. Then, you get to Deuteronomy chapter 4, and he's going to tell you some things about the Word of God and why it's so important. 
and how that they didn't realize the word of God and what was happening with them. And that the word of God there is supposed to be what you live by. And then we get to the New Testament. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you're going to read about that. You know, I've heard so many folks tell me, Balaam, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviteronomy, whatever, all of those things. That's Old Testament. That's not for today. Oh, contraire. Folks, we serve the same God. He has not changed forever. He says, what I was, I am, and I will be. And if you will be Bereans this week and read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, what you're going to find out there is that it says there that grace was in the wilderness. That it starts out saying in verse 1 that in the time of Moses, just what we're talking about, that in that time that all of my people were baptized unto Moses, you didn't know there was a baptism of Moses, did you? Yeah, there's, I think, seven baptisms. One day we'll talk about those. But they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the sea. And he said, They all drank of the same spiritual water, and they all ate of the same spiritual food, manna, which we will talk about next week. And that rock that gave them the water and followed them around was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was in the wilderness with the people as what brought the water to him. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he is what fed them. Grace was in the wilderness, but people do not like grace. People take advantage of grace. They grumbled and they murmured. And you know what they said? We don't like this manna. We want the old stew pots of Egypt that had the lizards and the snakes with all of the vegetables too that they had, and the pomegranates and the different things and the onions. Oh, and you give us manna. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, New Testament, it says that, that these folks who were my people and receiving my grace and my son in the wilderness grumbled and murmured and walked in their own way because they didn't like the way I was trying to lead them. And specifically mentions the doctrine of Balaam in that 23,000 in one day died because of that plague. And then it goes on to say there that this is our admonition, our warning. It says as you read 1 Corinthians 10 this week, that all of these things happen to them as examples for you, the church, the church age, so that you do not make the same mistakes and the same decisions. The same God is taking that and saying, this is for you. I was rough on them because I wanted it to be an example for you when you are in the age of grace, so that you will not Forsake me and leave me. Most folks say, I'm just all over the place. I'm just letting him lead me, okay? Most folks say, oh, but 
Daryl, I want to follow my heart. You know, I look at these things that, well, it could be right, it could be wrong, I don't know, so I want to follow my heart. It sounds right to me and it feels right to me. You heard that? Bind my wandering heart to thee. You know why I had to write that? Because hearts were prone to wander. He said, I am prone to wander. Next slide, if you would, Miss T. I know I'm all over the place on you. He said to them, I've told you about the law of first mention. How that first time something's mentioned in the scriptures gives you kind of the tone throughout. Well, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 is the first time hearts mentioned. Once you take a look at what it says there in that, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent and the thought of his heart was nothing but wickedness and evil in it. That's what your heart is prone to do. Go to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Did you know that? Who can know it? You can't know your own heart. What you want to follow your heart for? The Word of God says that the heart is desperately wicked. And who can follow it? Did you know that when man fell that your DNA was changed? And that now we have what the Bible calls the fleshly man. The earthly man. And believe it or not, the earthly man, and a part of which is your heart, which is really also your mind and your thinking, the earthly man is of the earth and not of God. It's not spiritual. And your earthly man wants you to fail. Have you ever sat around like Paul did when he wrote and said, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't do, I end up doing, and what a wretched man that I am because I can't seem to get this right, and that's because the heart is deceitful, it is wicked, and if it had its way, it will destroy you, and that is your inside and your thinking. And that's why it says not to think upon the things of this world, not to let your heart control you, but to think upon the Word of God and meditate upon it day and night and to let it be your guide and the lamp under your feet. Because if you allow your heart to guide you, folks, I'm going to tell you, it leads to destruction. There is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the ways thereof ends in destruction. And so I'm telling you all of these things because that's the way of Balaam. And the word of God in our story in Revelation saying there's a way of Antipas that was, he was faithful unto death. And then there's a way of Balaam that says, I can follow my heart. I can kind of do what I want to do. But you can't because the heart wants to make excuses and it wants to justify and it will put a spin upon every decision to turn it for what it wants to do instead of what God wants to do. And it will take this thing called grace that God has given to us and it will say like in Romans chapter 5 that if you mean the more I sin, the more God forgives and that's grace. Well then, woo, I, want us, I want God to see how graceful He can be. Paul has to begin in chapter 6 then and says, What? 
Am I telling you, do, am I saying that you can continue in sin so that his grace can abound? What's the next words? Anybody remember? God forbid. Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Do you not know that as many of you as given your lives unto Jesus Christ, you've become a new creature? You crucified that old man. You're being led now by the Spirit of God which is in you. That is the difference between the way of life and the way of Balaam. Well, if I continued on, we'd be here forever. It's time for the worship team to come on up. And that's why I say Wednesday we're going to get to Balaam's in uh, Jude 1 and 2 Peter 2. And I'm going to go in depth, Lord willing, on 2 Peter 2 with all the things there it talks about. As you can see, it says in 2 Peter 2 that there is a those who follow the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, Jude says they run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. And all of those things are talking about false teachers. And false teachers doesn't have to just be someone who stands in front of you. It can be anyone who is whispering in your ear and telling you that there's a different way than what God's way is. That is what that is talking about. That's what we're going to go in depth on Wednesday night. And then we're going to share some food and some fellowship, and I encourage you to come and to bring your families and your friends. You know, and again, I'm going to close with how I opened. The Word of God, folks, is the most important thing in this life. It's the most important thing that you can feed upon. Jesus said this in John 12 and 48. He that rejects me does not receive my words. And my words are what judges him. The words that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Folks, the word is nothing to scoff at. It's nothing to think that it's all off the cuff, but I can still kind of do what I want to do. Yes, there's grace. Yes, there's forgiveness whenever I... Get out of that path because we are humans and we are going to get out of the path. And there might even be long dry spells. But the thing is, is God loves those who like David who was always swerving out of the path. But every time he was confronted with it from the word of God, he said, forgive me for I have sinned. And that's the heart that God wants, that wants to follow him even though I know I do wrong, but when I am convicted of that, I change and I do what is right and I follow that. So I pray that this lesson will help you in that struggle between the walk that we make and the walk of Balaam or the walk of the way of God and the walk of Antipas was. But why? Because it ends with he that has an ear. Listen. To what Jesus Christ is telling you. This is the words of Jesus. They're in red if you got a red letter edition. These are the words of Jesus. He said listen up. And he says to him who overcomes. And you know what that means? To the one that when these lures and these stick baits. And everything gets thrown out there. That if you can resist. And you can stay with him through the trials of life to the end. 
you have overcome. And to the one who overcomes and doesn't give in, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you some hidden manna. And I'm going to give you a white stone with a new name on it. And you're thinking here, manna and a stone. I'll tell you what, those are precious. I'm going to explain those to you next week if you'll be here. Lord willing, let's pray. Father, thank you for the Word of God. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it knows the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Every word of yours is God-breathed. And it's profitable to us for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. That the people of God might be mature and thoroughly furnished into all good works. And therefore, Lord, we come together to study, to show ourselves approved unto you, to be workmen who are not ashamed, so that we might rightly divide the word of truth. We pray, Father, that word was rightly divided today. We pray that we have glorified you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.
Oh, my love. 